this. My wife is going to be reading our scripture for this morning from Genesis chapter 22. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Thank you very much, Becca. Appreciate that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, today we're kind of doing a two for one here when it comes to the names of God. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. It's actually from the Old Testament as well. Yahweh, Jireh, and the Lamb of God. Brief uh, reminder here with Yahweh. Yahweh is the correct transliteration of the Old Testament name of God, the proper name of God, which is also known as the Tetragrammaton, and Jireh meaning provider. Um, the very first name of God we're going over today is Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, is how most of us probably remember it. And most of us probably, when it comes to all the names of God, the one I think probably a lot of people, at least around my age, or who is going to church in the 90s, probably remembers this name of God, Jehovah Jireh, probably because of this song. singing this song. I mean, it reminded me of Fiddler on the Roof and everything. Um, powerful song. So like I said before, today we are kind of going over two names of God. You might be asking, why are we going back to the names of God found in the Old Testament when we've been going over the names of Christ? Did Pastor Jason forget about Yahweh Jireh? Well, no fictional person, I did not forget. It's just that these two, one is a question and the other one's the answer. The Lord will provide, what does he provide? He provides the Lamb of God. Most of the time when we speak the name of God, this name of God, we do so in reference to physical needs. When I pray for you for jobs, when I pray for you for the different things you may need financially, I'll, I'll pray in my prayer, say Yahweh Jireh, because he is our provider. But he provides so much more than this. He provides so much more than this. So many times we are so we are so content with the very small things, but God wants to give us so much more. 
when I was ministering in Botswana with the band Whites, um, we were praying for, it was an amazing um, circumstance. We had just finished, you know, preaching the gospel to a public school, which is really, really cool in Botswana that we get to do. And uh, one of the cooks comes up to us. She can't walk. She has a cane. And she's, I mean, she's really leaning on that cane, and she wants prayer. And we're like, oh, yeah, of course. And um, uh, the missionary prayed over her. She started feeling a little better. Uh, my senior pastor at the time, Terry Bemis, who I talked about earlier, he prayed for over her, and she started feeling even better. And then I prayed over her, and then she started skipping towards uh, the, where they were serving food. Wow. Awesome moment to see God, um, God's work. And before that time, we got a chance to talk with her. She was a believer. She went to church. Somebody else saw us pray for her, saw this miracle happen, and they wanted prayer too. And we prayed over her, and what she wanted, she wanted uh, provision, she wanted a new job, so we prayed for a new job, and afterwards we were told her, it's like, are you going to church? And she's like, no, and she's kind of given us the kind of answer you may have in America when you ask somebody, do you go to church? It's, uh, can you get off this topic now? She just had us pray for her, you know, asking God to do a miracle, but she didn't want to have anything to do with God. That's the problem we go into when we only look at God's hand and we don't want his face. God has so much more to provide than simple, simple material things. He has more to provide even than joy and happiness. He has more to provide even more than mental, social, and spiritual things too. He has, he has the best to provide for us. George MacDonald, he's the man who inspired C.S. Lewis when it came to fiction. Incredible believer in his time. And he wrote this, and I thought it was so good I had to share it with you. Man finds it hard to get what he wants because he does not want the best. God finds it hard to give because he would give the best, and man will not take it. In the past I've said, another way of looking at sin is this, settling for second best. You know, God wants us to have joy, and we'll settle for distraction. God wants us to have happiness in our day-to-day lives, in our in our relationships with others, and we think, no, I can I'll be satisfied with being deceitful. I'll be satisfied with doing all these things, and we are nowhere near as happy as God wants. We are our own worst taskmasters and slavers. We do a great disservice to God when we only ask for our physical needs because He has so much more than that to provide. In our story today of Abraham. You may think, and as you read the story of Abraham, what he really wants is he wants his own people, his own nation. He wants descendants. And you read in our verses what Becca read today, where he sacrificed Isaac, and you find out, no, he wanted something more than that. He was desperate for something he couldn't put his finger on. Have you ever been, have you ever been desperate? There's this story, fictional story, about a man who goes to this great wise man. He asks the wise man, can I learn some of your wisdom? And the wise man says, I I don't know. He's like, I want you to go over to the corner of the room. I I have a barrel full of water. Matt goes over there. The wise man goes behind him, takes him by the back of his head, and shoves his head into the water. The man thinks, well, he's just being, you know, he's being gnomic. He's being mysterious. I'll just hold my breath. And the wise man's not letting up. He starts thrashing around. It's like, you know, one of the baptisms I do. Anyway, um, he starts thrashing around. You know, what is happening here? The wise man is much stronger than he thought. And he's like, okay, am I going to drown? He's, you know, he's suffocating. No, I'm suffocating. He's drowning. The wise man finally lets him up. He spews the water out of his lungs. And the wise man tells him, would you want wisdom as much as you wanted air? 
then I can teach you. In John chapter 4, Jesus is at this well, and he asks this woman for water, and she tells him, how can you as a Jew tell me, uh, how can you as a Jew tell me who is a Samaritan, ask me for water? Jesus responds in here in, in, uh, in this verse, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. So many people are satisfied with religion when Christ wants to give relationship. Amen. They are desperate to the very, sore, the very source of who they are for this living water. But like one who's dying of thirst in the desert, we refuse it. We are so desperate for things that we know not. Jesus is what quenches our thirst. He is that provision. When God is first called Yahweh Jireh, just real quick, uh, brief aside here, um, the correct transliteration actually isn't in Jireh, it's Yaira. In ancient Hebrew, they didn't have just sounds. Now, I'm so used to Jireh, though, I guarantee you I will not be using Yaira. Um, I, I, as I was going through my sermon, I was like, I keep, I keep messing up, I'm just going to go with Jireh. Anyway, when he's first called Yahweh Yaira, it is because it is when Abraham takes his son, that's the verses we just read today, takes his son whom he loved and prepared to sacrifice him. Isaac asked him, where was the sacrifice? And Abraham answered, the Lord will provide. Or Yahweh Yaira. God did provide a sacrifice that day, but not just that day. He provided a sacrifice thousands of years after that time that would be for all time, before Abraham, after Abraham, and after us. God is our provider, and the greatest thing he has to provide for us is a lamb. When it comes to when it comes to talking about Jehovah Yahweh Jireh, I'm probably just gonna do it anyway. Anyway, Yahweh Jireh and the Lamb of God, there's so many verses we can because this theme is permeated throughout scripture because God, Jesus Christ is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. He is our one hope. So there's many verses I could go through here, and normally I like to just stick with one grouping of verses and then preach verse by verse. Today's going to be more of what we call systematic theology. I'm going to give you basically a smattering throughout all of the scriptures using four different testimonies of this lamb of God. One is going to be, yes, Abraham, who did not know Jesus, but worshipped in ignorance what would be would be reality in his faith. The second one is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, who when he sees Jesus, who comes to be baptized, he cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Finally, John the Revelator, who knew Jesus on earth, He's also known as John the Beloved, because as Jesus would teach, he would lay his head on his chest. He knew Jesus as this comforter, this lamb who was slain, but then he has a revelation, and he sees his eyes are like fire, his hair is like wool. He is the lamb who was slain, who is worthy. Today, the Lord provides the lamb that was provided, and worthy is the lamb. Yahweh Jireh, it demands the question, what does God provide? What is the best he can provide? The Lamb of God is the answer. My first point here is the Lord provides Genesis 22, verses 11 through 14. I know Becca had just read it, but because of the way I'm going to be preaching today, I'm going to be going throughout the scripture as we go along. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. 
And he said, here am I. Abraham, father of nations, was to take his only legitimate son and sacrifice him. He responds to the angel's request here the same way he responds when he is first asked to take the son, his only son, whom he loved, and sacrifice him. He says, here am I. He says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Yaira, or Jaira, what it literally means is to see, but universally it is translated as to provide. And in Hebrew it is also known as to provide, even though it literally means to see. So there must be a very interesting correlation between seeing and providing, that for God to see is for God to provide. We actually have the same thing in English, the word prevision. Prevision is two Latin words, means beforehand, and and, uh, vision to see, to see beforehand. But we know it as to, you know, as a provision, as to provide. It is almost as if to see, it is to provide. And God, knowing our greatest need, is for a Savior, provides that Savior. For God to see our need is for Him to provide for it. God saw Abraham's true need, and that is why He tests him here. Abraham and Sarah's true need wasn't for children, it was for redemption. So often, the thing, if you make your need before God your primary thing, like not need for God, but need before God, like your request, when God grants you that request, it'll become poison. Because you'll put the pressure on it in your worship for God. You see this, unfortunately, in so many marriages. So many people go and they get hitched and they think, this person will now complete me. And then in the week, their first week of marriage, that person doesn't complete them. That person's an individual in and of themselves. And they're expecting from that person to be God in their life and they then crush the relationship under that expectation. They become resentful and angry. You see this with parents. Between the helicopter parents, and then you have the parents who are just constantly frustrated with their kids. The helicopter parents are trying to make their kid, trying to make their kid justify every mistake they had in their life. (coughs) To succeed in every area they didn't succeed, somehow live through them, and it crushes their kid under that expectation. What they want that kid to do is fill in the cracks in their life. And no person can do that for you. Only God can do that for you. This need that Abraham and Sarah had, it wasn't truly for children, it was for a savior. In God's law given by Moses, there are two very interesting laws I want to point out that are found in the book of Exodus. Never sacrifice your children. Never, you know, sacrifice them to God. God was completely against child sacrifice. Second, sacrifice animals to redeem your firstborn. In Exodus, there is a plague of the death of the firstborn of Egypt. But it was not just the Egyptians who would have died, their firstborn would have died. It would have also been the Hebrews, except for one thing. The blood of a lamb. They were to take a lamb, as spotless as they could find, they were to they were to kill it, they were to take the blood and paint the doorpost and the threshold of their dwelling place. And when the angel of the Lord passes by, the angel of death, he would then pass over them. 
Ezekiel 18.20 repeats will be stated in Scripture several times, the soul that sins shall die. And all of us before God are guilty. You'd be like, I've never done anything really bad. That was my thing when I told God. When God came to me, may you know my testimony. I was a teenager. I was praying the words of the Our Father. God stops me when I pray, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. And the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me about if I die, where am I going to go? And I start trying to make all these excuses like nobody knows. Well, he knows. He knows I know. And I start saying, well, I've never done anything really all that bad. And he showed me my sin, not from my perspective. From my perspective, I was fine. I was a good boy. From his perspective, it was so incredibly wicked. My need for a savior was more than breath and air. And I understood it at that moment. I remember telling God, if you don't send me to hell, you're not good. Because I understood how incredibly bad my own sin was. Abraham had a a need of of a redeemer. And it is illustrated here. His obedience also leads to his blessing. In this story of Abraham here, please note that Abraham, without hesitation, does what is asked of him. I don't know if there is any story in Scripture with as much drama as this one. In this one, it's a very simple story. I mean, in other places, it could have been just a few lines. Abraham was asked to take you know, Isaac up and to sacrifice him. Abraham does so. God stops him. Um, God stops him and tells him, um, now that he knows that he fears the Lord. It could have been that easy, but it's not that easy for us as you read it. And do you remember the first time you read this? You're like, is he, is he really going to do this? Does he know about the rest of Scripture where you're not supposed to do this? Is he crazy? Can you imagine for Abraham, who has no idea what's going on? He has no idea what's going on. He takes his son. That's how God explains it to him. The son whom you love. Take him and place him on the wood. In this story, Abraham here, um, I said, please note the, the incredible drama right here. This verse breaks out. Um, and it's a, it builds incredible tension. Abraham is known as the man of faith. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. This has led many to believe that there is unfortunately no connection between faith and works. Well, there is. It's stated several times when we see this with Abraham. He believed, therefore he did. Last week I, taught, I, I, said, um, I said something very good, and I was asked a very good question about it afterwards, which was to examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith, to make sure that if you die, you go to heaven. And somebody gave me a very, asked me a very great question: was how do you examine your, how do you examine yourself? Well, I could do an entire sermon on how to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith, but I want to leave you with this: one, do you have a relationship with God? Does He know you? Do you have tenderness with Him? In other words, if you die right now, are you confident you'd be safe in the hands of God? That's the first and foremost. The second one, are you growing in holiness? Can you look at your life and you can see, I'm not, I'm not where I should be, but I'm better than where I was Amen. to the glory of God. Hopefully you, you see that in yourself. Hopefully you can see there's a progression of holiness. Yes, there's backsliding. But do you see that progression of holiness in your life? Abraham, we see that in Abraham's life. Abraham does not start off being really, really terribly moral even. Twice, not once, but twice. When there's a strong man before him and he's afraid the man might kill him and take his wife, he says his wife is his sister. And let's almost lets the man go ahead and marry his own wife because he's too afraid to do anything to trust God. 
It's Abraham, the man of faith. But he progresses and there comes a point where he doesn't compromise anymore. There comes a point where he grows in his holiness. And there comes a point when God asks him, take your son whom you love. It's terrible to think in our our modern day context. Back then, it was unthinkable. Because his son wasn't just his son whom he loved. It was his hope for the future. Without his son. And there's places in scripture, if we do not have descendants, we should be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Just completely destroyed. And here God, this promise he was giving him, he tells him to take his son whom he loves and to kill him. And Abraham does so without hesitation because he knows obedience leads to blessing. No one else will be tested like this. Why? Because the cat's out of the bag. We have the rest of Scripture. And God's never going to tell you to do something that's legitimately against what he says in Scripture. Abraham does it. Nobody else will be tested like this. Abraham has prophetic prophetic words during this time. And this is what leads us from Yahweh Jireh into the Lamb of God. Abraham unknowingly speaks prophetically in this story. When his son asks him about the sacrifice, he responds, the Lord will provide, or Yahweh Yireh. In Hebrews, it says that Abraham believed that God would resurrect Isaac. So think of this scene for a moment. A father takes his son his only legitimate son, whom he loves, and he and he leads him up to a hill. He places him down on wood. And the son willingly lays down on this wood because he trusts his father. Side note, Isaac, according to tradition, is 37 years old. Abraham is well over 100 years old. Abraham could not force Isaac onto the wood. But Isaac willingly lays down. Father, he lays down, willingly lays down. The father has the knife in his hand, believing that God will, that even if his son dies, that his son will be raised to new life. But this too is an already not yet promise because Jesus Christ is what truly this is all about. Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Revelation 13. His sacrifice redeemed Abraham and Isaac. There is no need for Isaac to die. Why? Because thousands of years from that moment as well, God would take his son, his only legitimate son, whom he loved and was well pleased. He would lead him up a hill. And on that hill, the the nails would not be stopped. The crown of thorns would not be stopped. And God would not allow Abraham to sacrifice his son, God himself Sacrifice his son, whom three days later is risen again. I said before, no one else, no one ever, no one else will ever be tested in this way. The cat is out of the bag. We know from the word that we do not have to sacrifice our children. That God has sacrificed His own Son for our sake, for our sin. But what should we take from this? What I say simply this: When we look at Abraham's life, is do not doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Amen. Do not doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. You know, a lot of times we say we have no choice when we've already made a decision, especially when it comes to sin. We look at the Christian life, a lot of people say, man, living a life as a Christian is really, it's really difficult. It's really confusing. Well, it's, it, it is difficult, it's not confusing. When people come into my office and they want my advice, 99% of the time, they know what they're supposed to do. They just need some help with it. Amen. It's kind of like the difference between calculus and bench pressing 300 pounds. 
One is one is confusing, and it takes a lot of mental dexterity to figure out what in the world you're doing. The other one, it's it's easy in terms of what you need to do. You just need to lift it up off your chest. It's very difficult to do it. That's that's the obedience. Obedience. It's not difficult in terms of what should I be doing. We have God's law. We know what we should be doing. It's difficult when the rubber meets the road, when you actually have to trust God in an area where he's shown you in the light, but now it's dark. I can tell you today um, to to be faithful with God with your money, that he owns it all, and that he does require a tithe, and you should tithe every week. That's easy for me to tell you, but there was a time in me, mine, Becca's life, where, I mean, we were less than paycheck to paycheck, we had to wait for me to go sell my plasma, you know, my blood at the local blood bank in order to get groceries. And we never missed our tithe and offering. It was very difficult. But it wasn't bitter. It was filled with joy and thanksgiving. And it was a fantastic time, which is a crazy thing to say because if you look on the outside, it didn't look very great. Don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Amen. That God has provided, He is providing, and will provide for your needs. Yahweh Jireh, it is applicable to our daily needs. Jesus said, look at the lilies of the field. They are dressed in their splendor more than Solomon is. Of course, He cares for you. One of my favorite things that Jesus says, look at the look at the sparrow. God's eyes on He knows every sparrow that falls. I think sparrows are disgusting creatures. So I'm like, if God cares about those birds, then He does care about me. He is our provider. The, the best thing he provides, though, from the scriptures is his son. It is a lamb that was provided. John 1.29. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the physical cousin of Jesus, in verse 29 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Abraham's story, there is a goat caught in the thicket that, God, that Abraham said that God would provide so he's the sacrifice for that day. But there was a greater sacrifice before the foundations of the world. Thousands of years later, it would be Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Abraham, right that day, knew that God would provide the sacrifice. And God did, but not just that day, but for all days. John the Baptist sees his cousins and shouts the identity of Jesus, the true identity. He is the Lamb of God. He doesn't just redeem the firstborn, but he redeems the whole world. Around Easter, Jewish people, and to this day, will celebrate what is known as the Passover. Refresher on the story of the Passover, I just said it not terribly long ago. The last plague was the plague of the firstborn. And the angel of death would go throughout all of the land of Egypt, and every firstborn son he found, he would would kill. You might think this is unjust if you don't understand the sinfulness of men. That the soul that sinneth shall die. Every single one of us deserves to die because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Jewish people are told, take a, take a lamb, slaughter it, take the blood, paint it over your threshold and on the doorpost. For when the angel of death comes, when he sees the blood, he will pass over. This is what it is, means to know Jesus Christ. That the threshold of your heart and the doorpost have been have been splattered with his blood, and when the angel comes around, he passes over. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Jesus, our provision. When Abraham heard the voice of the Lord, he took his eyes off his son, and he looked up. That is when he saw the goat caught in the thicket. 
When we take our eyes off our circumstance, that is when we see God's provision. When we realize the truth that our spouse, our children, our jobs, our money, and everything else is not ours, but it's His. We can let it go, and as we notice that God doesn't take it away from us, we can love it more freely, enjoy it more fully, and without fear. In the story of Abraham, we see one who loved his God more than his own son. Because he loved his God more than he loved his son, he could love his son better. How much fear and anxiety would you not have if you took your eyes off your circumstance and fixed them on the only one who can do anything about them? When we look at our circumstances, this is one powerful truth. God cares more about it than you do. So let the one who can actually do something, do something about it. Amen. Another way of saying this, like Jesus said, who added a single hour to his life by worrying? Yeah. So many people are so worried about what's going to be happening here in America. We're kind of in a, a turbulent time. You know, the election didn't go as well as other elections do. COVID is rapid, and people are filled with fear. What is the future going to hold? I don't know. I just know the one who holds the future. Amen. I know who holds the future. He holds me in the palm of his hands. And if he provided his only son for my salvation, he has not forgotten about me. That's right. This leads me to my third point. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Revelation 5.12. Sing with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. A person who knows the Son of God, the Lamb of God, knows the best thing in life is Him. And when you have Him, you have everything. And you are willing to go wherever you want, not because you have to, or begrudgingly, but because of joy in what God has in store for you, and for people that He loves. Two young Morbarian men heard of an island in West Indies. There, an atheist British British landowner owned 2,000 to 3,000 slaves. And the owner had said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep them in a separate house until he, has, until he is able to leave. But he is never to walk to any of us, never to talk to any of us about God. I'm through with all this nonsense. 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa were brought to this island in the Atlantic and there, and there to live and to die without ever hearing of the saving news of Jesus Christ. Several thousand black slaves toiled in his sugarcane fields under the burning sun. 3,000 slaves were doomed to live and to die without hearing of Christ. Two German men, two Morvarian German men in their 20s um, from, from this certain church heard about their plight. They were willing to sell themselves to this British planter for this for the standard price of a male slave. This incredible story, these two young men decide with their whole life ahead of them that if he won't let a preacher come and preach to them, then we will go over and we will sell ourselves as slaves so that we may preach to the slaves who are there and live very short, hard, terrible lives, but to, to go into all the world so that all might hear. They were sailing away. Many of their family members believed this would be the last time they would ever see them. They would never marry. They would never have children. This was basically their funeral as they were sailing away. Family members were emotional, weeping. 
Was their extreme sacrifice wise? Was it necessary? The housing had been cast off and were curled up on the pier. As the ship slipped away, with the tide and the gap widening, the young men linked arms, raised their hands, and shouted across the widening gap, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. Why do we do missions here? Why are we not just concerned about what's happening here in Algona? May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Amen. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. All of scripture is focused on Jesus Christ. To preach without talking of Christ is not to preach the scripture. Because worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It has been said very rightly that heaven is a never-ending worship service. It's true, but not in the way many people think. Sometimes they think it'd be like going to a concert or going to here and you're just singing, you know, 10,000 years. No, it may have been very fun today. It may be a good experience for you. But you're thinking like, 10,000 years? It's like, I hope the music changes occasionally. That's not what we mean by heaven being a never-ending worship service. Think back to a time, those of you who may have had this experience. When you're so deep in worship, all of your mind, all of your soul is focused on God. Where you could say with the psalmist, truly better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Where you are in such rapture of joy of knowing your God that it was almost overwhelming and too much that you swore your heart would stop to know such joy for even a second. That is the worship service that we are talking about that is in heaven. There is nothing compared to this on earth. It is a joy that is beyond reckoning that cannot even be expressed to those who don't know it. This portion of the book of Revelation is in the heavenlies. And look at the setting. There is a scroll that is sealed and that no one can open. John, the beloved, loses it and starts to sob uncontrollably. Why? It's just a scroll. I mean, who cares if it's opened or not? But when your passion, when your heart is for the glory of God, anything that assaults that glory is terrible to you. It grieves you. I remember Leonard Ravenhill preaching on the book of Nehemiah. says that there will be people that God will take and he will fill them with agony for the things of God. And Nehemiah, he came to Jerusalem, he heard of Jerusalem, that the gates were broken and the people were in turmoil. And God filled him with agony. May God fill us with agony for the United States. May God fill us with agony for this entire world. The gates are broken down. Who can unlock this seal that God may have the glory, that the Son may have the reward for his suffering? He starts weeping, and one of the elders comforts him. He says, weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. I've said before, Jesus has a lot of titles, and we're not going to be able to go through all of them. Behold, the Lion of Judah, the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. The scroll and the seven seals. You experience heaven on earth when worship gets to such a level to where you would weep if God has denied his glory. Why? Because the Lamb is worthy. Verse 12 that I, that I just read includes the seven 
full praise and worship of Jesus. As I know that's our youth name right here, sevenfold, that'd be a great verse for you guys. Um, the sevenfold praise of the Lamb. That he is worthy to receive power and glory and wisdom and might and honor and blessing. They go to praise God, um, worshiping God, what it literally means to ascribe worth. Yahweh, Jireh, and the Lamb of God are two names that are often used when making requests before God, but they do not stop there. They well up to thanksgiving and honor and praise because he is due them. They well up to praise and worship. It makes worship more than something we do on a Sunday. It makes it a lifestyle. When you help your neighbor, if you do it in the spirit, if you're doing it because you love Jesus, because worthy is the Lamb, that is worship. When you tell your kids of the good news of Jesus Christ, that is worship. When you do whatever you do, if you do it as unto the Lord, if you do it with all of your heart, that is worship. And you do it because, not because it's something special, but because He is worth it. When I pray for my daily bread and when I get it, when I don't forget to praise Him, I am also doing this because He is worthy. Worship team, will you please come up? I ended with worthy is the Lamb because it changes the way we worship when we believe He is worthy. If we just believe it is just simply a religious rite, then we never have a lot of passion in it. But if we truly believe He is worthy, we worship differently. No service ever would ever would we ever have to try to get people excited. Have to use you know, special smoke or lights or whatever we would have to do to get people excited. If we believe, if his people believed he was worthy from the first note, from the first prayer, from the first word, we'd be engaged. We'd be focused because it wouldn't be about all the aesthetics, right? I remember me and Becca, we, for a period of time, we went to a church and the music, it wasn't so good. And it was pretty bad. You know, it wasn't quite YouTube worship, but we were like teetering at that point. Me and Becca received such incredible blessing from God when we went there. Because the people there, they were focused. I believe that's what our church is. We're focused on the Lamb who is worthy. Because we have stories throughout here of how He has been worthy in our life. No service would the pastor have to scream to get people's attention. From the first prayer, from the first note, they would be ready. They would understand that we are now in the Holy of Holies. He has sent His Spirit into our hearts that cries out, Abba, Father. It also cries, Worthy is the Lamb. The sevenfold worship occurs when we surrender to God. You can see it in here. It's the list. Power. This is probably one of the hardest things for us to surrender because when we think about power, we think power over our own lives and to sacrifice that instead of saying, instead of saying, well, I thank God, blah, blah, blah. We should be like, well, what does the scripture say? I am bound by them, they are not bound by me. To sacrifice our own will over our own lives, that's the grace of God. To receive wealth. What money you have is because what God has allowed you to have is truly His, and giving whatever portion He would ask for you, that is also worship. That is why we maintain having um, having offering here at church. Wisdom. To surrender our wisdom to God's wisdom, that takes humility. 
Because God's wisdom is wiser. God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. What does it mean to give the Lamb wisdom? It means to recognize that His wisdom is greater than mine, to be dependent on Him for true wisdom and not earthly wisdom. This has been a struggle for churches throughout the centuries to stop relying on the wisdom of man and rely on the wisdom of God, of might. To know that whatever physical might we have comes from Him and to be thankful for it and to use it in His service. Honor. Do you honor God? Olympian Eric Lindell, whose story is in The Chariots of Fire, it's one of my favorite stories, period, except for what you find in Scripture. He was in the Olympics. He also had a call of God to go to China to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And he was putting off his mission's work because he believed that God had him there for a reason. God made him fast for a reason. And that when he ran, he felt God's pleasure. It's one of my favorite lines. I'm like, I can only claim like half of it. I'm not terribly fast, but when I run, I feel God's pleasure. One of his, his event happened on a Sunday. He decided, I'm going to honor God. If you watch the movie, and this is true in real life, his fiance tells him, it says in the good book, those who, those who honor God, God will honor. Do you honor God or do you put everything else before him? Is the least bit of inconvenience is enough for you? to renege on, on, on responsibilities that you have. Glory. Glory. Glory is the greatest thing in the universe is to glorify God. If God is a fire, then His glory is the smoke. And by nature, and very unfortunately, we steal that glory all the time. In worship, we give it back to the one whom it belongs. The last one in my translations is blessings, and yours is probably praise. This is the one thing the Lamb does not already have, but that we give to Him. And I'm going to give you that opportunity today. Instead of just preaching about it, as we sing this last song, it's one of my favorite songs. It's way back in the early 2000s, Worthy is the Lamb. It has that picture of us around the throne. One day, we will be doing this. And this is what's amazing. We will be gathered around the throne of God. We will cast our crowns down as we sing... Worthy, 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 holy, holy, holy. To receive power, to receive the sevenfold blessing of God. Wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing, and we don't have to wait until we're before the throne. We can do it right now and get get a glimpse of heaven. Would you stand with us as we sing this song?